All right, let's rock and roll here because I got to meet this client. Got to meet this client. Oh, so, oh, so I got to make money for the company, bud. Wait, talk for me real quick. Yo, 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 yo. Okay, great. Going down in three, two, one. This is the show with Austin Huff, a late night talk show podcast for your ears. Hopefully, the podcast is more clever than its name. Yeah, and hopefully the voiceover guy's jokes are more clever than they were last week. Welcome into the show. My name is Austin Huff. You can find me on Twitter at Austin Huff. Uh, a few quick things about me. Uh, when I watch Batman, I feel really guilty that I know Bruce Wayne is actually Batman when so many in Gotham have no idea. Uh, also, I am entirely against Sonic drive-ins with drive throughs It's already a drive-in. If you need food faster, then go somewhere else. That'd be like a drive-in theater also allowing rentals. It's part of the experience, people. And I hate baseball fans who bash teams that quote-unquote buy championships. Uh, Yeah, everyone buys championships. It's just some teams have more money than the others. It's just I feel like that comes from a place of of jealousy, that, that your team doesn't have as much money or won't spend as much money as, as big market teams. That's what the sport is. The Yankees always take crap for buying championships. Yeah, and guess what? They have 27 of them. So they're doing something right. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, uh, leave a rating, re- uh, review it, please. Uh, it would mean uh, a lot to me. Uh, or or just do nothing. That, that, that also works too. Uh, On this week's show, we've got a guy who essentially started an online empire. I'm sure you've heard of him uh, either online or you've probably seen him on TV as well. Will Leach is the man. He co-founded Deadspin.com, a website that went from being a blog that like nobody took seriously to breaking huge internet stories and being a, a real player in the online media world and really just just news world. You know, like they've broken stories like uh, everywhere from that Manti Tails fake girlfriend, Lene Kukua. Uh, they also broke the whole Sarah Phillips stories, which I don't know if you remember that or not. But uh, is this girl, I, I urge you to read it. Uh, this girl, you know, faked an entire identity to get a job at ESPN. And and then, of course, they also broke the, the whole Brett Favre uh, man part photos um, where we all learned that apparently Brett Favre wears Crocs, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you thought those those copper fit commercials were the worst thing that you've seen Farve in, then you clearly haven't seen these photos yet. Which, I mean, for good reason, probably. Uh, and for those who haven't seen it and are wondering, yes, the carpet does match the drapes, and and the and the Crocs match the Wrangler loose fit jeans as well. So, you've also seen Will's writing just all over the internet. Like I said, uh, MLB.com, Sports on Earth. He's a contributing editor to the New York Magazine. Uh, he also hosts a show called The Will Lead Show on SITV, which can also be found on uh, Amazon Prime if you have that. And Will also co-hosts a great movie podcast with his best friend, uh, Tim Grierson, and the podcast is called Grierson and Leach, where they basically go see movies and they rate them, kind of like a modern-day Siskel and Ebert, if you will. I urge you to check it out. It's really great. If you're a movie buff like me, you will love it. Um, with him, we talk about the start of Deadspin, we also get into uh, his awkward run-in with Buzz Bissinger on Costas Now on HBO a little more than a decade ago. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen that clip or not. I, I urge you to if you to go on YouTube and watch this. It's 
it's you know it's about 15 minutes and it is it it's kind of awkward at parts, but Will does a great job of kind of holding his ground and and not really uh, fighting back, if you will, because it just it, it it's awkward, but it made for a, a incredible TV moment, one that's still talked about today. And and Will was kind enough to talk about it with us and and get deep into that. So um, uh, we also talk a, a lot about movies, um, most notably which SNL skit turned movie is the best so you know the important topics when it comes to movies but before we get into that uh, coming up here in just a bit i'm joined by a guest i think you guys will really like my buddy spencer graves and we get into a topic that almost every man and most wives by product of their husbands have to deal with so stick around for that but uh here, here i am i'm just lingering uh shocker <laughs> uh so uh Let's uh let's start the show. You're listening to the show with Austin Huff. In case you didn't pick up on it from the title, it's a show with Austin Huff. Honestly, this is just filler to break up segments. All right, guys. So we all know that sports is all about the glitz and the glamour, the washboard abs and the striking good looks and um that's why you've asked me in uh well there you have it right there <laughs> literally right before we started recording full disclosure i said spencer let me intro this segment and i'll bring you in but here he is he couldn't even wait any longer that that voice you just heard is my friend spencer graves uh host of spencer's neighborhood on 106.7 the arch no, 106.5 oh yeah, yeah it's right. all right don't it's worry literally the studio is literally right across you're the studio crushing this right now 106.5 The Arch. <laughs> but if you're on 106.7 on your radio dial, you could probably catch it. You could probably... It's not how that works. No, it's no. not? Okay. <laughs> All right, so 106... You want to know a little, little known fact, by the way, about the point fives and the point sevens? Okay. That's America. Everything is on ends on the odds. Where if you went to the UK, it ends on evens. Really? Mm-hmm. See, I did know that uh, interstate highways north and south are even, east and west are odd. No, no, vice versa. flip that. Flip yeah. that. <laughs> so you don't really I am on know. Point today. <laughs> All right. So Spencer hosts the Spencer's Neighborhood on 106.5, the Arch here in St. Louis. Uh, to break things down with me in this segment, he uh, Spencer also has a podcast called Me and My Weird me Friends. Me and My Weird Friends with Spencer Graves. Yep. Don't don't sell yourself short. And uh, I I encourage you guys to check that podcast out. The quick little uh, twenty minute hitters. Um, and if you're going to start with that podcast, I'd say maybe start with episode two, where uh, he has yours truly on. Talk to a guy with a weird obsession with hip-hop music, yeah. being from Nashville, Tennessee. Well, and feeling old about the, the, that. Yes, he feels hip-hop. old, and he has to listen to endless Taylor Swift. Yeah, I have to. That's not That's by, by marriage. And sometimes by choice, when I'm alone in my car. Uh, so, Spencer, the reason I'm bringing you on, last night— uh, Drew Brees broke the NFL record Dude's for a stud, isn't he? yards passing in a career. He overtook both Brett Favre and Peyton Manning last night alone. So that right there should tell you just how incredible this feat is. Over 71,000. That's like 40 miles worth of passing yards he has. He broke it, and so now he is the new man on top. And speaking of on top, this got me thinking. Oh, Jesus. So when he took his, when he took his uh, helmet off last night, and was walking around 
the you know hugging his family and receiving laminated cards from the referees whatever the heck that was and then uh you know just just basking in this wonderful achievement and i love drew Brees. drew Brees is one of my favorite quarterbacks i couldn't help but notice the massive helipad of skin he has on the top of his dome yes he's balding he's balding and it's not like like it's 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 just a perfect circle right there on the back of his head it's more it's more noticeable than the than the birthmark of california he has on his cheek (laughs) all right leave the man's imperfections sorry your perceived imperfections out of this we all have we all have our crosses to bear and his is literally bare so I'm just saying. Did you write all these jokes no, down? No, no, I'm, no. But I. So it got He's me. He's not thinking, alone. It got me thinking. What athletes? What other athletes are great with with really good bald spots? Oh, number one, Tiger Woods. And so I figured, who better to bring on my balding friends? I'm not even balding. <laughs> I've got great hair and a giant beard. That is true. You I are, have hair to give. You are very hairy, um, which is actually funny because a lot of the guys on this list are very hairy, but they've got little bald spots on the back. They of their just head. need to transfer it. They yes, right, probably yeah. Tiger Woods is my number one okay. balding athlete on top of his game. Now, is that just based off his athleticism or because no, he's his one. hair? He's been balding for years. Yes. It's not like, you know, a recent revelation where he walked the course and we were all like, whoa, what a glare. Yeah. He's literally had the same hair and the same bald spot. It may have gotten just a little bigger by <laughs> centimeters over the last couple of years. That's okay. Yeah. But he's been doing this since he really broke into golf. Yeah. And when he was at the top of the heap in golf, he was doing it with a ball spot, and it didn't slow him down. He was still yeah. out there getting all these women, right. so That's they true. weren't worried about the right. ball spot. Yeah. To me, he was on top of his game. He had the bald spot. It didn't slow him down. Now, the, but the sad thing was when he did start to decline— I think that bald spot got more and more noticeable. Oh, I'm sure. Because it was just like, wow, Stress. this guy's not go- not good at golf, and he's having trouble. He's phallically challenged, if you will. That happens. Like, so that was just like kind of depressing. Now that he's like kind of getting good again, and now he's kind of like on that upswing, it's it's like okay, well that's that that makes sense. He's a PGA Tour golfer. Most of PGA Tour golfers have bad hair. The thing I appreciate is the guys that own the bald spot they either say fine i'm gonna rock the bald spot i'm not gonna adjust my hair but then i love the guys who go i'm balding i need to commit and go full yeah like the dude that was the quarterback of the seahawks for years oh uh, matt hasselbeck bingo yeah hasselbeck realized he was losing his hair yes he was getting that severe widow's peak it was kind of tucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. back and that's when you notice it that's like- it looked like the lake of the ozarks you know what i mean he had a couple <laughs> yeah, he had a right. couple coves going yes. on and he said that's it i'm shaving my head <laughs> that's when i was like all right yeah. you have garnered a lot more respect for me the guy that did baseball tonight uh dan what's dan's last name broadcaster dan shulman uh, yeah, yeah. He was a play-by-play guy. Play-by-play guy. Did baseball tonight for ESPN, right? So he did the baseball game. Yeah. Sunday night baseball, yeah. all that kind of stuff. He's another guy. He embraced the fact that he was going bald, so and he just, goes, just I'm coming to the razor. Right. I'm going the whole way. I love that. And I think that's the move you got to go. I the think guys that I don't like are Justin Turner. 
Justin Turner is a great one because Justin Turner is probably the last, like he's like a, he's a, he is, he was the hairiest thing in sports until the Flyers unveiled that gritty mascot. Okay. Like he is just the long hair, the long beard. But then when he, and, and he, he's always has a hat or a helmet on, obviously, cause he's playing baseball. But when that hat comes off or when that helmet flies off on a slide or something, He's got that long you can't red hair. Help but notice it. He's got that long red hair, and then he's got this giant bald spot. It's like when you get a hole in a knit sweater. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. literally have all this fabric, yes. all this stuff to see, <laughs> but everyone focuses <laughs> on that one small. And they always come up to you and they go, "Hey, man, you got a, a hole in your sweater," and yeah. you go, oh, "Oh, man!" And it's so small. Right. That's the problem. This guy, Justin Turner. Top of his game when yes. it comes to the Dodgers. One of the best hitter since probably Manny Ramirez. He's a stud. He pulls that hat off and everybody's like, "Hey, man, you got a, you got a little bold spot yeah. going on." It's, and of course, he's like, "Yeah, I know." Well, well, then commit to it. And he's got really fair skin, so that like it sticks when out. It, it reflects. It reflects light. So it, it's it's almost like a, like a mirror, like shining. You know how like when you like you kind of point a mirror and shine yeah. light in someone else's eyes. Catches a little reflection. It doesn't matter. You're what driving angle. down the road. Yep. The light comes in, it hits the screen of your cell phone, it hits you in the eye real quick. You're like, oh, where'd that come from? You see your cell phone. He he, needs to be like Dustin Pedroia. If he goes biking at night without 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 a helmet on. Don't say that it's like a reflective strip. If he goes biking at night without a helmet on, he'll still be safe. Stop it. He'll still be safe. He needs to be like Dustin Pedroia. Yeah, Dustin Pedroia has been balding for years, okay? He used to play baseball at Arizona State. He's another right? Party Cove guy in the front. That's right. Yeah. But he also decided, you know what? I'm going to keep this bad boy short. Yeah. He doesn't go full Bic Razor. No, he should, But he though. goes short. He, I think he should because, yeah, I, if, if I was ever in that situation, and I probably will be just based off the genetics in my family, I, I hear it comes from, like, your mother's side. And my uncle, my mom's brother, bald as can be. Just just very bald. So and you think you're going to get it? Don't get me wrong. He makes it look good. He looks good. But, yeah, I I am 100%. It's only a matter of time, and I'm counting down the days. In fact, I'm trying to grow out my hair right now. Just My dad had sake. a severe widow's peak, uh-huh. and I have my dad's hairline. I mean, without a doubt. So yeah. I know that I'm going to be a Party Cove guy, right? <laughs> like, I know that's right. coming. But so I really do? I really worry about the bald spot at the top because being a former baseball player wearing a lot of hats yep. and a lot of helmets, like I thought for sure that that would be one of the problems in the same thing. I heard it was genetics. So I sat there and I looked at my dad and I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to get I'm going to have your hairstyle. But I'm getting comfortable knowing that that's going to be it. I will not be the guy that says I'm going to comb it over. No, 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 no. You can't because that's that's. You know how they say, you know they say in like scandals, the cover up is worse than the crime. Yes, that is 100%. true with hairstyles as well. You're right. So it's hair murder. It is. It, it is. really is. So don't cover it up. Don't. Just admit to it. Just Own just it. come clean. Either just either say, listen. This we is give, who I am. We give Justin Turner a lot of flack. Okay, mm-hmm. but he is owning it. I mean, he is saying like, no, I want the long hair, and I know I have this bald spot. I know I have the hole in the knit sweater. Yeah, he wants to own it. He's owning it. Should he? Probably not. Probably Manu not. Ginobili was another guy Manu who, Ginobili. through his career, he got more comfortable with the razor yes. and kind of getting things. Because when he first came out, like, he had some hair problems, but he tried to let it ride. Don't get it wrong. He still has hair problems. <laughs> yes. It's just he's, he's managing he's them better. He's masking them better, yeah. He's managing, not even masking. Yeah, he's right. just saying, 
you know what? For my luck, it's got to be here. And that's a tough spot to beat. Tough spot. Um, Gosh, you really in. love these puns. <laughs> Just with with him because he's playing in the NBA, and that's one where you're not wearing a hat, you're not wearing a helmet. You're kind of just exposed. But the amount of bald heads in the NBA, like right, he but, has, but everyone he has got like comfortable Michael Jordan, with it. like the big head. When he had like hair, when his hair would get longer, it would get longer everywhere. But that just like that, you know, that that back spot. But that, we all go the through the same spot, issue. Will. Every guy goes through the same issue. Every man with hair always thinks. What if I was bald? Yeah. How would I look if I was bald? Mm-hmm. Do I have a pretty enough head? Because every guy like me wants to be Jason Statham. Yes. Right. Where every guy like me will not look like Jason Statham. No. For numerous reasons. Well, yes. But number one, if I, I was could, bald. I could give you a list right I, Yeah. And I, and I would take that list and go, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that I would look good bald. So that's my real concern is like, eh, I may yeah. just have to go the short I know, route. I need that, some of the hair for texture. That's another concern. I have a large head. So if I ever have to like, see, and I don't think I would pick my head. But I think you would look good bald. You think so? Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate that. Because you got that dark skin, right? And you got the dark hair yeah. and the dark eyes. Like you would not have a problem garnering the interest of a woman who might be interested in you. Well, where if it was me, they'd be like, well, you weren't great looking as it was. Right. Now that you're bald, you're certainly not. You will always be good looking. Well, see, that's the problem, though, because I've already got that woman. I've already got my wife as you know um and i yes don't and we think know she that she be, loves you and, and you love yeah, her and she's a fox there's um, no doubt that people walking down the street will look okay. at you like I, a menu I, I don't think she would be okay with me baking my head i think she would not want like that look so then I, then what do i do no, she likes your hair she of course likes your hair right but, but she still loves you well yeah. Unlike Blake Bortles, forgot, no one loves Blake Bortles. I forgot to take out the trash last night, so I don't know. This is today would be a bad day. By the to, way, no one is that. a bigger fan of Blake Bortles than me. Blake Bortles is sad. Well, okay, wait, wait, real quick on Manu Ginobili. Manu Ginobili's bald spot isn't sad for him. It's sad for the guys who are guarding him because you've got this dude. You know he's going to hit a tray or he's going to make do some crossover to you're saying they're mad that they got dunked on by a bald spot stop it no one thinks (laughs) that people are like oh man and you know like the the spurs had that perception of just being like the oldest team in the league but they could still ball that they're you're saying the bald spot their hairstyles did not did not help in that in that uh in that defense it didn't help that greg popovich is their coach well yeah and he's yes he's about right and he always looked he's as old as dirt so uh Blake Bortles, that's a sad one to me. That's really sad because you can tell he he tries to hide it. He tries to as I as said, as soon as the helmet comes off, the ball, the ball you got to embrace. Off. And he he's only twenty six years old. That's what I'm saying. Embrace it. He is, but twenty six. Like, I used I'm to okay. work with a guy. I'm okay with trying to hide it when you're twenties. I used to work with a guy who had the side skirts like a Cadillac in the sixties. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he had full hair all the way around, but on top he was bald. And I kept telling him, I'm like, dude, just shave your head. Go Dan right. Schulman size. Yes. Just shave your head. Knock it down. If, Embrace the fact that that's where you are. If you're in your twenties and you start losing your hair, yeah, definitely full big because then you have that. You have time because you don't meet people until like your late twenties and thirties. You know, as you go through life, 
and then they'll always know you as Big Ted. You know who always reminds me? Like, whenever the guys with the side skirts, what they look like to me, yeah. they look like the vulture on all the Roadrunner cartoons <laughs> back in the day. Yes. Like, yeah. you just saw a little hair, right. and then you're and like— like a collar oh, of hair, too, right. around the, at the yes. base of their neck. like that chest hair into the arm hair into the back hair. Yeah. The whole deal. One more I want to get into with you, uh, Dana Holgerson. Oh, so now you're going to West Virginia football. West Virginia football, the head coach of West Virginia. If you've seen a West Virginia game, you know this man. But can we be mad at a football coach having a bald spot? I feel like that's all of them. No, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at any of these people. I'm just addressing the best ones. I'm just addressing the best bald spots I feel in like, sports. I feel and like he, if anyone's going to have a bald spot, it should be a football coach in college. I Dana Holgerson has got that look of like, yeah, I stopped caring years ago. That's you know? what I'm saying. I, I stopped caring like when I was like when Pat White was my quarterback. Like that's how long ago West Virginia. Like I, I stopped I stopped caring about my hair back when uh when uh uh oh why am I blanking on his name? Bowden. When Bowden was our head coach here at uh Bobby Bowden was our head coach here at West Virginia. That's how long ago That's been a while. Yeah, right. I know. Right? I'm talking like Dana Holgerson was probably in diapers the last time he cared about what his hair looked like. Because you think so? Out, you're saying that when he was a out. kid, he had a bald spot. Oh, 100. <laughs> percent Like you know how like babies always have that soft spot in the back of their head. That and was him permanently. His maybe, and you always say like, "Don't touch the, the soft spot. Don't touch." Someone touched well, his that's, soft spot. That's a danger. It's <laughs> got nothing to do no, with No, it has to do with hair growing in. That's probably what scientists learned just by watching Dana Holgerson. He looks like Ron Howard's brother, Clint. Like, just that, the guy who's always cast in, now, granted, he's like a better-looking Clint Howard, because nobody's a Clint Howard. Stop it. I'm just saying. You're ripping this guy. Yeah, I know. Is it bad? Yes. I'm definitely going bald. In fact, I might be bald by the time I take yeah, my Yeah, it's going to happen. They I, all say that, like, you know, the God will strike you with lightning, and yeah. he's just going to hit you with bald spots. See, I always wear hats because— Bad for you. Well, I— I know that it's only it's inevitable, and so if I wear hats while I'm, you know, after I go bald, nobody will notice. People will just be like, "No, that dude always wears hats." The logo of this show is a hat. Exactly. So, and pretty soon, in ten to fifteen years, it's going to be a bald spot. The show with Austin Huff and yeah. a bald spot. <laughs> the, the logo will just slowly change. It'll be a silhouette, just, just and somebody will go. Be like, there used to be hair there. Yeah. <laughs> And that will be you. It'll be, people will say, yeah, that wow, it, the show changed their logo. I didn't even notice. It God, I remember when morphed. Austin Huff was an attractive yeah. human being. I remember when Austin Huff had hair and his show's logo had hair. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it's evolved. The yeah. graphics team has not forgotten. Right. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, Spencer. Thank you so much for uh, taking time to hey, my uh, pleasure to hang out with me. That I feel like I should we should call this segment "Me and My Weird Friends." Because um, you just made fun of all these athletes who make yeah. way more money than they us. Make, they do make a lot. Of, that's another thing. They make a lot of money. So they could fix the problem. They, that's they what you're saying. They could probably get all the hair transplants they want. But do you Look really? Joe Buck. Joe Buck had a bald spot. He embraces the hair transplant. He got the hair transplant and he braces it and he looks great. Looks fantastic. I think the moral of the story is if get you have something, no, if, if you, you have, money, have something, get a hair transplant. if you have something going on, just embrace it. Yes, yes. Spencer, thank you so much, man. Check my out pleasure. Spencer's podcast, Me and My Weird Friends with Spencer Graves. It's available on iTunes, Podcast One. Um, and uh, start with episode two. It's really, really good <laughs> and really funny. Uh, and uh, if you're in the St. Louis area, check out 1065 The Arch. Uh, 
not 106.7 The Arch. No uh, one remembers that joke. That was that's 20 minutes ago. Rival. <laughs> Stick with 106.5 The Arch in the mornings. Spencer's Neighborhood. Spencer, you're the man, dude. Thanks, buddy. You are listening to The Show with Austin Huff. Now, it's time for a conversation with a guest who's much more interesting than Austin. Hey guys, what's up? It's me, Austin. Uh, of course, I, I don't know who else would be talking to you directly on this podcast, but uh, just wanted to say, uh, just give you a heads up on this this interview. So during the interview, we had a little bit of technical difficulties. So kind of uh, midway through, uh, you'll hear me. I'll come back on and let you know that uh, where the technical difficulties occurred, and then uh, and just kind of jump right into the interview. You only miss about a minute and a half total of the interview. Um, but I uh, just wanted to kind of give you a heads up before we go into it so you're not, it doesn't sound uh, awkward like this intro does. So uh, stick with us. Also, I, I think you'll find it funny around the point where we did have the technical difficulties that just you'll know what I'm talking about when we get there. So uh, enjoy this interview with Will Leach. All right, guys, I am really excited uh, for this week's guest. Uh I know you know who he is because you've seen him anywhere all over the internet and as well as your televisions. He's a national correspondent for Major League Baseball. He's a contributing editor to New York Magazine. Uh, honestly, you can you can find him just basically anywhere. It's probably because he's an incredible writer. Even if you don't agree with all of his opinions, you can't help but respect his writing and the homework that he puts into all of his work. Uh, I mean, if I, if I sat here and listed everywhere that you could find his his work online, I I, I probably wouldn't even have any time to uh, talk to him. He he's got his own. Uh, he, he this guy's got his own Tumblr page. So if you find it, I, <laughs> I encourage you to reblog him. Uh, and uh, also, just uh, checking my notes here, um, one other little tidbit I found. Oh, that's right. He's the founding editor of a little website called Deadspin.com. You can follow him on Twitter at William F. Leach. That's William F. L. E. I. T. C. H. And I assume the F stands for freaking. So I guess his full government would be William freaking Leach. Will, thank you so much for joining me today, man. <laughs> no problem. I, I do think that the. Uh that the 1920s version of freaking is Franklin, which is my actual middle name and where that name was originated in our family. So I assume Franklin is, uh, is the olden day freaking. So yes. Uh, thanks. Right, thanks right. for having me. One of the founding fathers of this country, Benjamin freaking. So yes, exactly. My favorite president. Wait, no, he wasn't. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Will, um, you, you are very familiar with the St. Louis area and this, this, um, this podcast originates from there, as you know. So I like to start as kind of a nod to that, as this, this podcast being the basis of the three, one, four, as a nod to that, I, I like to ask every guest and I start every interview by asking each guest the traditional St. Louis question. Where did you go to high school? So, Will, where did you go to high school? Uh, I went to high school uh, not in the St. Louis area. I am from Mattoon, Illinois, which is about an hour and 45 minutes from St. Louis. Uh, about an hour and 45 minutes from everywhere, actually. It's kind of out in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. Uh, it's about an hour south of the University of Illinois where I went to school. It's right by Charleston, which is where Eastern Illinois University is. It is a very small rural uh, town in, in Illinois. That If you're driving th down I-57, you will briefly see a couple exits for it, and then you will 
will never think about it again. Uh, but so it's down, it's downstate Illinois. Um, I, I grew up there. Went to college at the University of Illinois. Um, then after I graduated from Illinois, I, I worked as a film critic for Los Angeles for a year. And then I moved to, uh, to St. Louis in 1998 and lived there for two years while working for the Sporting News. Back when the Sporting News was in St. Louis, before it yes. was in Charlotte, before whatever it is now. Back when it was on Lindbergh. Uh, I, lived on, uh, uh, the, I lived in an apartment complex. I was 22? I was 22 years old uh, living in the villages of Wincrest, which was a little apartment complex off 170 in Delmar. Uh, so uh, that was where I lived for that year. But I worked nights. So I really feel like one of my biggest guilty things about the two years I lived in St. Louis before I moved to New York was because I worked nights, I like you only hang out with other night people. So really, I can tell you like four <laughs> great bars and great places to get lunch before you go into work. So I feel like I, I never I never got the full St. Louis experience. The best way to explain how how uh, how bad my not bad but certainly unnatural my experience was in St. Louis was that uh, I went to like three Cardinals games in my entire two years there because I was always working at nights and I, I I had to go into work too early to go to afternoon games. So uh, I was there during the whole McGuire run and only saw like a couple of games which is which is really sad <laughs> that's brutal yeah so that, i i used to work nights as well so i trust me i i can i can empathize in that situation with you of just how brutal it can be just not just for your your i guess your your personal schedule but for your social life as well um but real quick going back to uh to high school go green wave by the way yeah uh <laughs> i read somewhere that you uh were you earned four letters in baseball, one letter in football, and four letters in, wait for it, the Scholastic Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to apologize for that, crying out loud. That was an what? that was IHSA approved, that sports. Illinois High School Athletic Association, they gave us letters. I will say I was the only person on our team that had letters from something other than Scholastic <laughs> Bowl. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yes, yeah, I, I did play baseball was my sport. Uh, I was, uh, um, I, I, I played football just to try to get in shape for baseball back before, back when that made sense. Like, oh, they'll just run calisthenics. Yeah. Don't worry about my brain. I'll just uh, run yeah. calisthenics enough to be able to play baseball uh but baseball and you, and you only did you only did scholastic ball to get in shape for for baseball right yes exactly exactly i only did <laughs> baseball to get in shape for scholastic ball um <laughs> but unfortunately we're not in the same season but yeah you know it is weird i suppose that it was a sport but you know it was it was a ihsa sponsored event we had tournaments we had uh they they had to get somewhere i really don't think we should have gotten a letter for it but i wasn't going to send it back uh but yeah <laughs> i uh uh scholastic ball is basically it's quiz ball is probably the best way to do it and uh i was better i will confess i was a pretty good catcher i i uh i was more of a defensive specialist than i was a power hitter uh, i was a good defensive catcher uh but i was a better scholastic ball player i'm sad to admit <laughs> so yeah so i i i just imagine like you know uh you know you're walking down the halls of your high school you've got your letterman's jacket on you've got your your patches for football you got your patch for for baseball and then you've got your patches for scholastic ball which is like I, I got to imagine, yeah, like like you said, like you were, you had to have been the only guy who was playing other sports while also, like did we had, that, we had a few that... soccer kids. There's a few soccer kids, but okay. uh, but yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. You, so you had to have been like the smartest guy on all your sports teams, and then but then also the most athletic on your scholastic ball team, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a small high school, so neither one is that impressive of an achievement. But uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know I. Uh, for me, you know, I was a smart kid. I was definitely a smart kid. You know, but when I kind of grew up, uh, again, it's a really small town. I now I have two boys of my own, and uh, they're both like would be classified as gifted, which is 
everybody else tells me I should be excited about, but I remember being the gifted wood growing up, right. and it caused me nothing right. but headaches. It caused me nothing but yeah. problems. It was always an issue. Uh, uh, and I, and I, for me, uh, one of the reasons I got into sports because it was something that like normal kids did. <laughs> it was something that like I just wanted to like. I loved baseball more than anything else, and I, I like baseball in, in Illinois uh, college basketball was probably the other thing I was really into. The Cardinals in Illinois basketball, but. Uh, they, uh, you know, for me, I got into sports because uh, a I liked sports, but b, you know, this is I've always kind of found this a general positive value of sports across the board, which is, you know, when I played sports, like no one said, no one on the team was like, "What's this nerd doing here?" I was just a <laughs> baseball player. I was just on the team, you know. And in the same way as basketball, no one said, "What's this jock doing here?" And and I, if I have one kind of ethos for my life, it's I really hate. Put, being put in box or putting other people in a box and for right, me it was right. perfectly natural for me to be on the baseball team and to be on the scholastic ball team because those were two things that I liked and that were good at so what is the problem and you know I feel like that still kind of has followed today you know I write about sports I write about movies I write about politics and a lot of people are like wow sports guy you're writing about this other stuff why is that I'm like well because I'm a human being that has lots of different thoughts about lots of different things in the world so uh, so yeah for me you know that I uh I've been very lucky, knock on wood, that uh, both in my life and my career to be able to kind of like follow my pursuits and interests and things that I care about. Uh, and uh, I guess high school, so I suppose no different. That's that's awesome. So now you currently reside in Athens, Georgia, after many years of living in New York City. I can imagine you were unable to tell a difference from those two cities, right? When making the move, <laughs> you know, not I, much of a culture shock. I gotta say, the, the uh, for me, New York was the culture shock. Like I was from the middle of nowhere, man. Like oh, like right, New York right. took the New York took me a long time to adjust to. And I, you know, I moved to New York because I wanted to be a writer, but I wanted to be a serious writer, man. And so I moved to New York uh, and basically starved <laughs> for like five or six years. I answered my, uh, I answered phones at the doctor's office for about four, three or four years. Uh, I was not yes. very good at it. I hope I didn't kill any patients. I was really very unorganized. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, but uh, like, that's where I was working on 9-11. Like that's uh, like, you know, for me, like, you know, the, my time in New York, uh, the first half of my time in New York was mostly uh, realizing that I was not the big shot that I thought I was and that it was going to be right. really hard. And I thought I was just going to come to New York and they'd be like, wow, what a literary genius this guy is. And it turns out nobody <laughs> cared at all. So, uh, yes. which was good though, because that was good because it made me kind of like figure out like, okay, what do I want to do? What are my skills? How can I apply what I think is a pretty healthy work ethic to this field uh, that uh, is, is maybe outside of those bounds a little bit and is a struggle for me. And, uh, and so Basically, what happened was while I was out there, uh, I, I, I worked with, uh, I started a site called The Black Table, which was with AJ Delorio, who took over for me as Deadspin and ended up being part of the whole Hulk Hogan Gawker uh, thing that went on uh, a few years ago. Yeah, and right. uh, my friend Aileen Gallagher, who's a professor at Syracuse, and my Eric Gillen, we basically had this group of young people in our in our early to mid 20s that wanted to go out and do exciting things, but had no one that would pay us to do it. So we just started our own things and uh, started a site called The Black Table that got c- kind of popular. And then at that point, uh, Gawker Media came to me because they'd read a lot of my writing and said, Hey, would you like to do uh, a site for us and I said yeah you know what we should do a sports site actually I think it'd be fun to do a sports site so I made this long pitch and they thought oh you're really cheap so we'll give you a chance because the <laughs> and um, and uh, it became Deadspin so I was very fortunate in that regard but for me New York was as much as I love New York I lived in New York for about 13 and a half years actually and I really did love New York it's a great place to be single 
Uh, it's a great place to be without a kid, <laughs> but once right. you and not, yeah. not to say you can't raise, raise a kids there, get raise a kid there, be uh, uh, be married there. I have many friends that have very perfectly happy lives there. But you know, I'm from a small town. You know, for me, going to Athens, you know, I look at my boys now. I don't look at my boys what they what they can do and all the things they can see in Athens as a pair compared to New York. I compare it to Mattoon, and I think of all the things that they get to do. They get to go to co- they get to watch the number two college football team in the country every weekend. They go to school yeah. right across from where the athletic center is they like they nick chubb like walked my kid to school a couple times last year yes. like it's like a small cool college football yeah. college town and like i have season tickets to basketball and there's it's like cool art museums college towns are awesome so for me the opportunities that my boys get to get in a college town is something i would have never really gotten in mattoon so i tend to contrast it more with mattoon necessarily with new york and in that regard uh, athens fares very well yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, and I think just I also I I'm just very fond of the whole state of Georgia as as a whole. Like Atlanta has got to be one of my favorite cities in America, and just and then you've also got a coastline in Georgia too, which a lot of people don't even really think about when they think about Georgia. And just I don't know, I just it, something about that entire state that I just love, and it's just beautiful, and the people are so friendly and nice, and there's a, an influx of Waffle Houses, which I there are a I lot of Waffle Houses. Love. The only issue I have, uh, the only two issues. I have with Georgia are uh, the only things that like that I that I, I miss from New York are yeah. is sushi. There's no good sushi here at all. Ooh, <laughs> all the sushi yeah, is terrible. Okay. And it's also in an age of global warming. Like everything is fi- like we it's October. We're doing this on October 8th. It is still mid-August here. Like it is right. 92 degrees here right now. It, I'm a runner and it is an unrelenting oppressive heat. I'm running a half marathon yeah. uh, on October 21st and it's still going to be like 85 degrees. <laughs> like it's absolutely insane. Yeah. So that I have not adjusted to, but I think that may be more, that may be something that all of the world's going to be dealing with in the next few years yeah well at least at least the uh, humidity is not too strong down there either yeah so. no it's totally fine <laughs> the whole what did casey single say about the old bush stadium and they asked him what he thought of. he's like well it holds the heat well and yeah. and uh, i think that uh, georgia very much does that now okay so you you kind of alluded to it earlier as uh you know your time in new york uh you were the co-founder. Of I was the founder, the one founder, actually, the one founder. Oh, the founder. Yeah. Sorry, I, yes. I don't know why I said uh, co-founder. Yeah, you were the founder of uh, Deadspin.com. So, so Gawker comes to you. They they kind of took notice of you. Comes to you and says, "Hey, we want to start this site." Is that take me back to like the just the initial conversations and the thoughts in your mind of just saying. Yeah, I think I want to. I want to do this. I want to start a website and just see where we can go with it. Well, they wanted me to actually do a gambling site. Uh, they actually had, had a deal. Remember, I don't know if anyone remembers Bodog. It used to be a big gambling uh, yeah. website, and they they had come yeah. to Gawker with like say, "Hey, we'd like to you guys to do like a little micro site for six months. Well, we'll sponsor it, and you just write about gambling a lot." And which so, is which is interesting because it's like I feel like now yeah. now that 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 precedent you know way way before the fold of just how big gambling has become over time yeah that was what two this was the early 2000s this was 2000 or, or about march of 2005 and okay. uh, so they asked they asked me if i wanted to do it and my dirty secret is i actually think gambling on sports is wrong and bad for sports so i said yeah. so i said oh, oh sorry uh i think this and so i'd be a terrible person to run your gambling site however i think you should do a sports site and for me you know i uh, when i was at the university of illinois I actually worked for the Daily Illini, and I was a stringer for the Post-Dispatch, actually, covering Illinois sports. In fact, uh, for St. Louis, since I always joke about this, but I was a stringer covering Illinois sports for the Post-Dispatch, and the stringer from covering the same year as me, the stringer covering uh, Missouri fo- sports for the Post-Dispatch was Derek Gould. 
And uh, oh, so, nice. which is really funny because uh, yeah. I remember uh, seeing, because uh, we, we would like compete for space in the newspaper covering the Illinois and Missouri teams. Because now, <laughs> yeah. of course, Post Dispatch is going full Missouri. But like back, back in like, back in like the, the uh, in college, like the mid nineties, Illinois actually got just about equal coverage in the, in the St. Louis paper as Missouri did. Right. So I was always fighting with Gould for, uh, for space in the newspaper. And I remember uh, saying, I, I got kind of competitive about it. I remember saying to a friend of mine, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen in my career, but I guarantee to you, I know one thing. I will have more bylines in this newspaper than this Derek Gould guy. Uh, it did not turn out that way, actually. Uh, but uh, anyway, I know Derek. Derek is great. Obviously, we've become friends over the years. But uh, so but I had covered, uh, I'd spent time in the press box in Champaign covering Illinois sports. And the thing that I noticed pretty much across the board is everybody in the press box was really miserable all the time. <laughs> they were all yeah, miserable. They right. didn't seem to be enjoying their jobs. They all wanted the games to get over quickly. They all had all these funny stories to tell, but would never print them. And it just felt like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but I know I'm not going to write about sports because those guys look miserable. And right. so I always thought about that. So I, when I was, when I moved to New York. I never wrote about sports. I mean, I wrote about sports. If I like, I would write like a column about sports because I liked the game, but I was not interested in being a sports writer. And, um, but once I kind of thought about what kind of Gawker was and Wonkette was a big a political site at the time, Defamer was a good Hollywood site. And I thought they could do a good, there should, we should do a good site that's about sports in that way. And the primary idea was it felt like I wanted to do two things. I wanted to one, uh, bridge the gap between the people that worked in sports, whether they were media or players or managers or owners or leagues or TV networks, and the people that consume the sports, the people that actually pay for all of this. Uh, it felt yeah. like there was a large gap between those people, and I and like everyone had all these great stories that they would that uh, all these reporters I knew had these wonderful stories that they would never actually ever print. I was like, wait, why not, man? <laughs> like, of course you want to print right. these stories. So for me, uh, that was one of the founding elements of what when my original long memo about about Deadspin uh, that I kind of sent them to pitch them on it. I wasn't called Deadspin at the time. It was just called Sports Site. And, uh, and the second thing I wanted to do was... Uh, I wanted it to be fun. Like I wanted to make sure I still liked sports at the end of it because I love sports. And I had seen right. how many reporters uh, had just been worn down by it and just did it for so long and they were cynical about it and they didn't like it anymore. And for me, that was the opposite of how I wanted to experience sports. So I am um, – uh, for me, that was what I was trying to do with that spin was I was trying to have it be funny and silly and goofy but also uh, telling the real stories that was going on in sports and, and getting past this, these kind of gatekeepers and talking about sports the way people actually talked about sports so uh, that launched in September 2005 and was hugely popular way faster than I was ready for it to be <laughs> I was I didn't yeah. I, I didn't start Deadspin because I wanted to be rich or I wanted to be some famous right I, I, I started Deadspin uh, I started I, I, to me I thought this may last like six months so hopefully I'll get some good clips and I'll be able to write for the Times or New York Magazine someday. Uh, and it just blew up. It just blew up and got huge really, really fast in a way that was exciting and fun. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, for me, I was not interested. You know, you look at some of uh, uh, more, I look at someone like Drew McGarry, who writes for Deadspin now, who I've known for years and years and years. He is great. He's a wonderful writer. He also kind of likes being an internet personality. He kind of likes being, you know, and look at the barstool people are kind of like this too. And I think in a more, yeah. in a more nefarious sort of way. But uh, they kind of like being you know, 
personalities on the web and like having hot takes and all that sort of stuff and uh, and uh, and getting in fights with other teams fans and having and getting in a tussle on Twitter and you know that's never that's not at all why I got into this I got into this to write so I started I didn't I didn't care how many people were viewing the site I didn't look I still to this day don't look at page views for anything that I write or anything that I watch or anything that I do I'm just trying to make stuff that at the end of the day I can say I'm proud of and that's been the rule pretty much my entire career knock on wood <laughs> it gets a little harder every year but that's the goal right and so uh for me that was what was fun for me about deadspin back then is uh i told lockhart Steele, who was the guy that uh, that offered me the job and he was my manager at the time i said listen just don't tell me the page views if i'm not getting enough page views give me a warning and if i don't get it up you can fire me okay <laughs> but otherwise don't tell me the numbers because no number is going to make me happy every number is just going to win and make me have more numbers. the old george carlin had a joke about cocaine they asked him uh, someone asked him like uh, well what is co- what is doing cocaine make you feel like he said, it makes you feel like doing more cocaine. <laughs> and uh, and and I feel like like traffic is like that. Like you you're never yeah. gonna reach the thing that you're never gonna reach the place you want to go. And it's all it's just gonna be all in consuming. So I just decided I didn't want to be any part of that. So um so for me that was one of the reasons I left Deadspin after about three years uh, and went to New York Magazine where and as, as you mentioned before I still write today while doing a lot of other stuff. So for me I I'm very lucky to be able to work in this field and I'm very proud of the work that they do at Deadspin now. I always joke uh, Tom uh, AJ Delora took over for me since then it's been. Uh, uh, Tommy Craggs and Tim Marchman and now Megan Greenwell are the other, have been the other editors of Deadspin. They've all done such an incredible job. But the only reason I get any cachet at all for being the guy that founded Deadspin is because of the work that they do. Like they're they, to this day, if one of them would have run the site into the ground, no, everyone would be like, "Yeah, Will, you used to do that one site. What was it called? It died a few years ago." Like I continue to benefit from their work, and so therefore I feel very fortunate. Yeah, for sure, and I think it's because. Deadspin has kind of, and even, so I remember I was in college when, when Deadspin launched and I remember, you know, the early days of, of the website and it, it just kind of coming up and it was like, yeah, here's this site and it's funny and it's, you could tell it it came across in your writing that exactly what you said, the reason you wanted to start this site was you enjoyed talking about sports and it wasn't this, it didn't come from this, you know, contrived, like place of oh you know i i'm i'm better than you i know the sports better than you no it came from a place of like just any one of us like uh you know having fun and wanting to talk about sports in a fun way and in a way that you know sports fans actually talk and and so i i think that's one of the reasons why just it you know people people latched onto it and and but then it but then it it, it kind of took this turn into Oh, actually, they're they're reporting some actually like some great stuff. Like they're doing some good work, good journalistic work that, you know, I think a lot of people didn't didn't expect because they kind of they kind of wrote it off as this, you know, this blog. And, you know, and then they did that did so in a negative way. They, they talked about, you know, they used the term blog in a negative way and. And here you guys were like breaking stories, and and I know I think it was it was after you left, but the obviously the the one that everyone points to is the Manti Teo story, and just the number of stories that you guys started to break, and it, it became sort of this thing where it was like, you know, it's like oh, actually, Deadspin is actually doing just as good of reporting and 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 breaking stories, just like any traditional media outlet. What? what was that like for you to kind of see this this thing where you just you know you started you were there for the the uh, conception of it turn into this it, it's a it's now a media outlet that people 
you know, use to uh, to read huge breaking stories like that. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. And, and frankly, outside of what my comprehension and understanding of what it was ever going to be. Like, listen, I'm a journalist and I have covered many stories myself. And I'm, I am right. I like to think that Deadspin was a journalism a journalistic enterprise when I was doing it. But certainly, like, it was also just me. And, like, my friend Rick Chandler would help me out. But, like, yeah. the the uh, it was really just me. Like, I didn't have a staff. I don't want to be a manager. I never wanted to manage anyone. So, like, I, yeah. I certainly couldn't write a site all day and then also report the man Titeo story. So uh, to see how much it kind of expanded and how grew, how much it grew and kind of how uh, much ambition went into it has been a very exciting to watch. And uh, and to me, it's funny, Megan Greenwell, the woman that runs it now, she is a terrific editor and has been for years. She used to work at ESPN the magazine. She's a terrific ed- Like she is someone that uh, uh, when she got hired, I was like, holy cow, I can't believe that person works at Deadspin, which is funny because Deadspin, of course, in my mind, is still like the place where I just uh, this still part is always going to be where I just made armpit jokes and uh, and tried to tried to make funny <laughs> lines about Carl Monday. But um, it, so it's but I, it, it's exciting for me to watch people look at Deadspin. I look at some of the talented writers that that work at that work at Deadspin now. Uh, it kind of blows me away. It, it is an honor to me that people that are smart as they are and as skilled. Uh, and 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 have have the, the ambition that they have that they think Deadspin is the place where they're able to 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 uh, do their best work. That's exciting for me. That makes me feel good, even if I don't know necessarily think I had a lot to do with it. Uh, it certainly it makes me feel happy. Like listen. When you founded Deadspin, like I left Deadspin more than ten years ago, <laughs> like it's been it's been more than yeah. ten years since I left, and Deadspin is still the. I, it's hard to find a conversation that Deadspin doesn't come up. When I when I moved to Athens, the the first thing everybody, no one said, hey, that writer from New York Magazine lives here now. And they said they said the Deadspin guy is here, and I am. I, there was a time, probably shortly after I left Deadspin, where that would have chafed at me a little bit. I'm like, I'm not just Deadspin. I do a lot of yeah, things. Right. And uh, but I, I have to say, I don't feel that way anymore. There's uh, just the number of opportunities that I still get today because of Deadspin. I mean, my, I, my, I, again, I was working at a doctor's office before Deadspin happened. So for me, I'm very honored to the, with the work that they do and and, and as, as strong a voice as they have and the smart people as they have there to continue to be associated with them, even if I literally only write one piece a year for them. And anymore uh the the uh to to be able to continue to have that association with them is something i'm pretty i'm pretty honored and and pretty lucky to have so um uh it's it's a cool thing to watch happen and uh sometimes they'll do something that will anger someone and people will all yell at me about it which is or my favorite my favorite (laughs) or my favorite people are like well that wouldn't have happened when will was running it and i'll look at their avatar and they're like 22 i was like there ain't no way that you were reading the site when i did that pal at least you better not have been so so, uh, right. you know, I think that it's always weird to be used as some sort of rhetorical cudgel uh, in that regard. Yeah. But uh, for me, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm again, I'm honored to be associated with them. And uh, I think they're doing incredible work. Well, as you should, because I, I will I'll say this, the, the the foundation that Deadspin was built on that, that just that speaks to why it's still going as strong as it is right now. And that that credits that all that credit goes back to you and what you started and to kind of have the longevity that it has and just to only grow into you know the monster that it is 
that all stemmed from you. So so you you just you should be honored and you should you 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 do deserve a lot of credit just for the 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 talent and the blood, sweat and tears that you put into the side. I mean, I, it's incredible. Well, that's nice that's nice of you to say, but uh, but uh, I uh, I think when when you see a when you see a Laura Wagner piece or a uh, or a, uh, a a great Megan piece or a Tom Lee piece, uh, that that's them doing it. <laughs> that's them that, nah, that, nah, that that's that, them putting in the work and that's nice. I'm I'm glad that I, I was able to help put something together that that gives them that kind of outlet but uh uh i'm i and i like like i'll give i'll give you this uh i wrote a piece about barstool recently which has all gotten along gotten around right. and gotten on me, sports, got, got sports me, on earth right it was, on, it was in new york magazine and um oh yeah yeah new, that, right oh, sorry and, i read it i i just yeah <laughs> and um and so they uh um and they got around a little bit and so on and kind of about like my history with that's been and kind of founding of it and i will say yeah. that like you know um one thing i if i give myself any credit for what that's been now is um i don't think it laid down the foundation of being a jerk <laughs> and i think yeah. and i think a lot of early sites did right and uh i think right, barstool would be right. an example of that to where all of a sudden the jerkness kind of compounds on itself and then everyone has to steer under the curve and pretend that they're jerks too even if they're not and so uh i will say hopefully the positive attitude that the site has uh hopefully that's from me even if necessarily the work isn't isn't always all right gotcha well okay so Kind of around the time, I think shortly before you left Deadspin, I'm not exactly sure of the exact timeline of it, but a lot of people listening to this, I'm sure, are aware of the time that you obviously you went on to HBO's Costas Now as a panelist with famous author Buzz Bissinger. And now, I wouldn't normally bring this up, but but you put up a lot of crap from Bissinger that night. <laughs> and the reason I do bring it up is because that clip, at least to me, hasn't aged well at all all for Buzz Bissinger and really for a man I admire a ton, Bob Costas. So I, I want to ask you just, I mean, what was it like that night? Because honestly, like you, I think you, you came out on the right end of it. You were, you were kind of the, the, the face, or at least on that panel, uh, the face of the new media and the face of, you know, this, this world of, Hey, you know, times are changing and it's, you know, it's kind of, you kind of get it, got to get with it, or you're going to look like like Bissinger did that night of just looking like kind of the old man stuck in the mud of, you know, oh, well, you guys aren't doing credible work and yada, yada, yada. I mean, what was that like for you that night? Uh, yeah, I still never watched the clip, <laughs> so I'll take your word for it. Um, yeah, yeah, well, trust me. That, yeah, that, it's, that, it's... that night was... You know, I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that when I, I get the, I hear that a lot. Sometimes I'll confess that the thing that I, I didn't really like that evening, and the reason I didn't like that evening, was because it took what I think was an interesting question. Um, in this in this world of um, all of a sudden having ev- everyone the uh, access to the means of production, and uh, everyone uh-huh. can write whatever they want all of the time. How do we decide? How do we figure out what's credible or not? It's a question that obviously still is a major one today in a ways that neither I nor Buzz could have anticipated. Uh, but how do you distinguish between a credible voice and a non-credible voice? That's a legitimate question. It was a legitimate question then, and right. it's a legitimate question now. Unfortunately, um, the thing that I did not like about that night is basically what happens all the time now, too, which is it took a nuanced question. How do we navigate this transition into a new sort of media and turn it into old guy yells at young guy and this and I am at this extreme position and you are this extreme position and that's just generally speaking whether it's on television or not that's not my favorite style of communication so um, right. that is that part was very frustrating and that's and uh, I, I had a sense 
that uh, Buzz was fired up <laughs> that evening. Uh, uh, I think that was mo- I've always actually had probably had a little bit more sympathy for Buzz than Costas in that regard, to be honest, because uh, Buzz, you know, before that moment was just the guy that wrote Friday Night Lights and this wonderful journalist and this guy that yeah. everybody liked. And he never really didn't have a major TV or personality presence. But I think he, to be honest, I think Costas kind of used him a little bit. I think he he uh, he knew that he was a passionate person, um, right. and, and he knew that he did not have a lot of media experience, and he knew that he had a Pulitzer Prize. So he thought that he would be able to just come out and lay waste to this punk kid uh, who uh, didn't know anything. And uh, I think when it turned out that uh, while I still didn't know very much, uh, I was not a punk. And I was not, you know, I always, jo- uh, I, I think that kind of backfired on Buzz a little bit because I think that, I think that Bob was hoping we were going to get into a screaming match or I was going to do something embarrassing. And when that yeah. didn't happen, I think it kind of spun uh, Buzz out a little bit. And uh, so to me, the it, I, one of the things I would have liked to have talked about that night, and I bring up a lot when I talk about this now, is... Like that very week that we were on that panel, there used to be a, t- a magazine called Play Magazine, which is the New York Times mag- sports magazine. The New York Times had a monthly sports magazine called Play. David Foster Wallace wrote his famous Roger Federer piece for them. Like it was a really great magazine. And I wrote for it and Buzz wrote for it. In fact, that very week on opposite pages, there was a piece by Buzz and there was a piece by me in that week where we had that discussion. <laughs> now, obviously, we took different routes to get there. But the point is, this is like this is the best sports magazine in the country. And we're both in it right next to one another. Let's like think right. about what that means and like how we took different paths to get there and how this will be greater for great for new voices in the future. And I think that was what was really frustrating is it turned it into uh, it turned it into an episode of first take. And I hate stuff like that. And uh, and uh, that I feel like actually a large part of my career is basically meant to fight that sort of thing. So um, yeah. uh, for me, that that's what was always frustrating about that night. Uh, only, I have never seen the clip. Occasionally, someone will send me a picture of myself. And I look impossibly young and stupid. <laughs> and, um, but um, uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's uh, it was a uh, wild time uh, to be sure. But uh, I'm I, I I was ten years. It's been it was, it was I was still doing Deadspin. I was just about to leave. I left about two months later, and. Um, to this day, uh, I think last April, which has been the 10 year anniversary, I think a couple of people wanted to like do like an oral history or to have some sort of panel. And I said, listen, I'll do it if Buzz or Bob want to do it, but I'm not going to just like talk to you about it otherwise. And um, and I apparently they didn't want to do it because that story never yeah. ran. But uh, and I don't blame them for that. Like for me, I don't think it's a proud moment for uh, anybody involved. I know they still show it in journalism schools. Uh, I think that's in, I don't know if they should. <laughs> I don't think it's actually that instructive. Um, I feel like there's a lot more, particularly now, uh, as media has changed so much, even in those last 10 years, I feel like there's a, there's better lessons to be had. Yeah. Well, again, this, it, you not, uh, getting into like a, you know, not, uh, taking uh, over the Stephen A. Smith role in that debate, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and just raising your voice. It, it, it just showed that, you know, kind of, it should show the true colors in a lot of ways, and I, I think you did it did a very good job and uh, of of really containing yourself in a night where it it kind of felt like a setup in a way, like you know it was just three people and you kind of had to defend for yourself and you you know you somehow Jackie Chan your way out of that <laughs> out of that moment. So uh, props to you on that. Now, what did was there any conversation? before or after that segment like behind the scenes or anything uh certainly no, beforehand i met him briefly and he was kind of <laughs> he wouldn't really make eye contact or talk very much yeah. so um uh, i could tell something was up um right. 
right. Uh, afterwards, about a month later, they did a uh, like a because it, it was such a big thing, it caused such a tussle when that thing happened. Yeah. That uh, they invited. I think they did a special. Costas did a special baseball show, and he invited uh, me and Buzz to sit in the audience together. Him wearing a Phillies hat and me wearing a Cardinals hat, like drinking a beer <laughs> together to show that we were best yeah. pals. Now I don't think I've had a conversation with Buzz since then. <laughs> so I I think it's clear that we didn't become that good of friends. Uh, but um, to me that that not that I don't think the first Costas night was worth it, but the second Costas night was worth it because I, I was in the audience. I was sitting next to Bob Gibson, and so that was pretty much oh, wow. the coolest thing. He, he uh, Bob Gibson came over to me and said, "Hey, I like your hat," and I said, "Thank you. You're the coolest guy in the world." Uh, just so you know, <laughs> and uh, and my and my favorite part was um, the show was about to start because it was live, and the show was about to start. He's like, and he leaned over me and said, "Do you think I have time to go to the bathroom?" And I said, "Dude, you are Bob Gibson. You can go to the bathroom <laughs> here right now, and no one is yeah, going to say a word to you about floor, it." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, "You're right. I can do whatever I want." He did get up and go to the bathroom. He did not, in fact. Okay. All right, good. But that would have been cool if uh, Bob Gibson peed on your shoes. <laughs> I would have. Uh, I'd cool. still have those shoes. They would not be washed. Yeah. Now, uh, now, so obviously you kind of alluded to it earlier, and and just now you're a huge Cardinals fan. So I got to ask, what? How do you feel, just personally, uh, about kind of Deadspin over the years becoming the online hub for all things Cardinals hate? Uh, yeah, I think that Deadspin was just more. There are two reasons Deadspin started doing that. Uh, the first thing they, the reason they first started doing it was just to make fun of me. <laughs> it was Drew writing a piece <laughs> to make fun of me uh, because yeah. Drew writes this yearly column about why your NFL team sucks because Drew's more of an NFL right, guy, which is fantastic. And it's yeah, really funny. And then every once in a while he'll do why Duke sucks or why the Grammys suck or whatever. Yeah. And so he did one in the Cardinals that was. But if you look at the very first one, it's primarily focused on making fun of me, <laughs> and, and yeah. which I thought was pretty funny. But I, what was telling, and I think what took Drew back, and I think all of Deadspin back a little bit, was the response, which was not in good humor. <laughs> it was not yeah. in a playful way. People were really, really taken aback by it. And the best way to make sure that you continue to get made fun of when you someone makes fun of you is to get really, really upset that they made fun of you. Right. And at that point, it was just, it was open season at that point. I think that, that uh, I think people, listen, I, uh, I love the Cardinals and I love the Cardinals fan base and I am uh, as, as, fervent a member of that fan base as you will find. Uh, there is a self-seriousness there uh, sometimes, to say the very least. I also think a lot of it kind of uh, would be an early indicator of the ongoing cultural divide that we see now. I think there are uh, many different kinds of Cardinals fans. I think there is a certain stereotype of a certain kind that I think is unfair, right. but nevertheless, that time that kind of does in fact exist. So um, I think that uh, that didn't help. Um, I think some of the... Uh, and then, you know, as Deadspin started to take on a more political bent as the years go uh, went along and uh, mm. St. Louis was I think at the center of quite a bit of uh, of uh, turmoil and strife I think right. that led into it as well uh, and and I, it, all of a sudden what initially was a look how sensitive these Cardinal fans are aren't they crazy <laughs> turned into something that kind of got weaponized on both sides and I think it's and the good news is it's settled down a little bit in the last few years the bad news yeah. is because the Cardinals aren't as good anymore, and therefore they're not as that they haven't they haven't been as high profile as they've been. Like, why do you need to kick the Cardinals now? They've missed the playoffs three years in a row. Why even bother? Right. I remember that one season. I, I want to say 2014 or 15, where they chronicled every single loss. Oh, I remember that. Was, yeah, that, that was that was that was 16. That was 16. That was the year the year yeah. they didn't make the playoffs, and uh, and it right. was funny. And, and, and I, 
it was. I thought that was very clever. I thought that was actually pretty funny because it it really they, they wouldn't even like write anything mean. They would just let yeah, you know. They were just yeah. yeah. I thought that was. I thought that was very funny. But again, that's like that is not at least initially was done because Deadspin hates the Cardinals. It's because it's fun to make fun of people who are really sensitive about being made fun of. And Cardinals <laughs> yeah, fans right. are very sensitive about being made fun of. Right. Well, well, cause it's like, I mean, you can't do that with Yankees fans. So that, cause if you bash Yankees fans, you're going to, you know, it's basically like Yankees fans know they're Yankees fans. Like they know they're, you know, that people hate them and, you know, they hate their team and everything like that. Cardinals fans kind of have that, you know, that, 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 I mean, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, in, in that Midwestern niceness, you know, and it's like they don't want people to think that other people, you know, don't like them or anything like that. Yeah. So it does. There is that kind of defense mechanism that goes up. But but yeah, it's like, you know, the last three years, you know, unfortunately, the, the Cardinals have failed to make the playoffs. So it's, you know, you think content, uh, you know, uh, deadspin, if you're constantly, you know, running a website and you're looking for content. You know, you do it in their down years and their lean years. Then you get, then you get more. If you want to chronicle every single loss that the Cardinals have, then you get you know a few more posts a, a year out of that. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's a really fun way to make fun of people. Like just to, just sure. to do straight faced that say uh, say your team lost. That's all we're saying. What 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 what, what? you know they lost. It happens. It kind of, it got yeah. me every time too because I take Cardinals losses really poorly. So <laughs> I, I it right. kind of stuck in my car a little bit too. Now, one last one last question, because I, I do want to like kind of get into some movies and some things with you uh, real quick. But uh, one last question about Deadspin, and on a much lighter note, I should add, how many, for lack of a better term, athlete dong picks did you have to sift through in your time there? Uh, none, actually. That was after my none. time. Athlete dong was okay. after my time. That was Delorio okay. era. That was Delorio era. So I had no. Uh, I lucked out. I, man. I I didn't. I wouldn't say I had so much lucked out as so much chose not to write about athlete dongs <laughs> that often. It's probably the best way to put that. I wouldn't call it lucky. Yeah. That was a conscious decision. Um, so, so so none came across. None came across the desk. Oh, uh, lots of lots came. There. Lots came across the yeah, desk. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, it wasn't really necessarily my bag. And listen, there were things that we made fun. it wasn't like i'm not saying the the site was npr like it wasn't we did right. a lot of very silly things but uh, to yeah. me uh... all right so that's this is kind of where the audio cut out and uh i don't know i don't know if uh you know like the it, it cut out on purpose because of the subject matter or what but probably for the better probably for the better that the audio cut out and then uh when we return i'm i'm you kind of catch us mid-conversation talking about Neve Shulman, of all people, uh, the host of MTV's Catfish, the writer and director and producer of uh, the documentary Catfish, which is a phenomenal film. I encourage everyone to uh, check it out. It's one of my favorite documentaries of all time. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're... I don't know how he came into conversation. I Probably Manti Teo and then talking about Catfish and then... Eve. So uh, we'll pick it up right there and um, and enjoy the rest of the interview. Here's Will Leach, part two. All the components of it, and the only the only people that benefited as much as Deadspin did from that from that story was like maybe uh, like Neve Shulman from uh, Catfish. <laughs> yes, yes, you know? yes, yes. Because that just blew up his whole. He had the documentary out at that time, and but still, it was such a new concept to people that people would create these fake online profiles and and catfish people. And and then then all of a sudden, and I think that spring he had his TV show launching, so it couldn't have been better timing for him. And then and then it just became a, a just a verb. Like I think Webster's got to add it to their the pages of their dictionary <laughs> because now we know everyone knows what catfishing is. 
Well, that's I suppose that's uh, that's been crossed to bear for the future. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Now, okay, so writing writing about sports for you just kind of became an accident, right? Like you you orig- you actually wanted to become the next Roger Ebert. Yeah, Roger Ebert was my hero growing up. He went to the University of Illinois. Um, I all I wanted to do was write about movies. Uh, I still I, I still get to write about movies now. I review movies for Pace. I have a podcast with right. Tim Grierson. I uh, have my show on Sports Illustrated. Everyone should watch my show on Sports Illustrated. SI.tv, the Will Eat Show, where I talk to like celebrities oh, and yeah. movie stars all the time. And uh, for me, that's still probably the place I feel more comfortable. I feel like I know movies a little better. Like I can I can tell you how a movie is made. I know what a gaffer does i can't diagram <laughs> like a great football play like i can't like i wouldn't be able to do it I, I i so you know i think that there's a part of me that will always kind of know uh uh <laughs> will be there first but for me it's a passion project you know obviously uh I'm, i wasn't going to be foolish um once that's been uh kind of exploded i knew writing about sports was going to kind of be in my future uh moving forward but you know i never wanted that to stop me from doing other things i covered the 2016 election for bloomberg which was really really fun and didn't suddenly horrifying um and then uh i cover and i i, I write about movies for uh for them and i i write i really just trying to write about a lot of things and uh but sports is the thing that i guess pays for it <laughs> so uh but uh yeah i writing about movies was kind of always my first passion and roger ebert to me you know roger ebert was a wonderful writer not because he just wrote about movies because he wrote about the world you know and when you write about right. movies you actually do write about the world like the, the movies can encompass all of kind of humanity and and that's a that's a fun thing to get to write about so can I ask you what your all-time favorite movie is? All-time favorite movie. It's tough to uh, it would be tough to pick one. Uh, I right. I go back and forth, but I have thought about this. I go back and forth on some of my, uh, the movies I think uh, are close to perfection for me. Um, I think Singing in the Rain 2001 um, uh, Shortcuts, the Robert Altman movie from 1993, uh, which is a, is a yeah. particularly great one. Uh, we all have, uh, there are movies that were really big, important uh, milestones for me that I, I will, I'll watch again today and still be moved by, but not think they're maybe as great. JFK would be, I think JFK was probably my first great cinematic experience. I kind of maybe really fall in love with movies. But as for my favorite movie, I, th- I mean, you're really kind of digging back into the classics back then and, uh, and really things that just really kind of stand the test of time. Raging Bull. Uh, Raging Bull is really great. Um, I'm a Woody Allen fan, which is not a really popular thing to be anymore. But uh, Husbands yeah, and Wives right. is one of my favorite. Uh, Deconstructing Harry is one of my favorite movies of his. But um, yeah, uh, I w- my my dirty secret is I actually don't like sports movies. <laughs> I don't like sports oh, wow. movies because for me, sports movies are like. I go to movies. I, w- I watch movies and I watch sports because I want to be surprised. I, to me, the, yeah. that's the fun of sports. Is like I don't know what's going to happen. I'm about to sit down and nobody involved in this, including the people playing, have any idea what's going to happen. And what's which is why it's so strange that sports movies all follow this very specific arc and there's always yes. a big game at the end and there's yes. underdogs and I don't like I don't like that about sports movies I actually want like to me sports movies are actually the worst of sports and movies because they're both predictable and like I don't like it when movies I watch are hackneyed and cliche and familiar and so uh, I, there are some sports movies I love Bull Durham I think it's probably Bull Durham and Hoop Dreams uh, which is a documentary maybe yeah. does not count those are probably my yeah. two favorite sports movies but generally speaking I, I don't really have a soft spot for sports movies that's that's actually a fantastic point because it is it's it's one of those things where it's like even though like it may build suspense in the way they tell the story you know how the story's going to end it the only two i can think of of all the sports movies i've ever seen 
Disney's cool runnings, which they, they, you know, spoiler warning if you haven't seen it, they don't win in the end. <laughs> and uh, they, they crash their bobsled. And then uh, 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 one of my favorite baseball movies, Little Big League, Minnesota Twins, they, they, they lose to the Mariners <laughs> at the end. But that's just because of the greatness of King Griffey Jr. and, and the big unit on the, on the hill. So, uh, but yeah, that's, a, that's a fantastic point. I'm actually glad you said that because... I, I think so often people just, you know, like like the movie Remember the Titans. Everyone loves that movie. And I'm just like kind of like, well, you know that it's you know how it's going to end. You know, I mean, obviously, that's a for that one. That's a historical movie. And you know that they went undefeated. So there was really no drama in uh, in in how their uh, season played out. But I commend you for for being able to because I, I know that's one of the hardest questions to ask. Uh, if what's your favorite movie when there's literally so many like people ask me what's your favorite movie and I tell you I can't tell you my favorite movie I can tell you my top 10 and my top 10 still has like 14 movies in it so (laughs) it's like it's nearly impossible now I guess more on a narrower scale what what movie director do you love like what what's a what's a what's a director that you know whatever they come out with you're going to appreciate their work uh let's see now i think paul thomas anderson's pretty high on that list uh clearly uh i think um uh she's he's definitely very uh, directly in tamara jenkins who has a new movie coming out uh, that's on netflix now called uh private life uh every movie she makes i think is really really great um uh, kelly reichert actually is another good example of that uh but but if, if you were to ask me what one director's movies do you get most excited when you hear they're coming out i'd say it's either it's either paul thomas anderson or alfonso Caron who did uh gravity and did uh like yeah. water for chocolate i think that guy is really really great um but uh i still listen i watch woody allen movies because i've been watching them my, my entire life and will always want right. to continue to watch them i don't think his new one's even going to get a release i'm afraid but uh but uh, uh that's more of a emotional thing rather than necessarily a, a practical movie thing but yeah i would say there's probably no director maybe i think tarantino still is always going to be a big deal um mm-hmm. but uh for me it's probably paul thomas anderson uh what, what are your what are your thoughts on uh, stanley kubert i mean i think he was a genius i think he was a genius and probably an impossible person to be around <laughs> that's oh david fincher yeah, david fincher yeah. is another director i would put on uh, atop that list as oh, well yes. and he's actually uh, got a lot of kubrick to him he actually puts his actors through the ringer and makes him do a million set takes this is famously like kind of cool calm and cool and, and and removed and kind of obsessive um and uh i, I would uh, but yeah kubrick is it's funny. I still think 2001 is like just almost, it's just perfection. And like that movie is is just uh, I I've seen that movie dozens of times and still will uh, find, kind of find new things in it every time I see it. So yeah, uh, I think uh, and to me, you know, there's a great documentary that came out about Kubrick a few years ago. Um, and, yeah. And it is just to watch that movie and go through all of his old films and and Doctor Strangelove. Doctor Strange talking about a movie that's like light years ahead of its time. Like Doctor Strangelove feels more relevant today than it did when it came right. out. So uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, he's a genius. <laughs> he was he was an absolute genius. Yeah, I um, I, I the reason I ask is I, I took a uh, Stanley Kubrick class in in college and every week we went through a different and we watched literally every movie that Kubrick ever made and it's just incredible to watch just even really just kind of like the transformation of his movies from his his early work to to the 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 bare end with um uh oh, why am i blanking on it uh Full Metal tom cruise and Nicole yeah oh yeah Newman. yeah yeah yes eyes wide shut eyes wide shut yes thank you that so to the very end it's just it just kind of see that transformation it's almost like a like a good band you know you you have the uh 
like like the Beatles, if you will. <laughs> they they start off you know one way and by the time they they ended by the time the band was no more it was just a completely different it was almost a completely different sound and uh i i think you get that a lot with kubrick and and the movies he made i think you're right i think you're right then I, I that kind of the band equivalent of wilco wilco is that band for me to watch their entire yes. career go through <laughs> and like I, okay, I there you go your first comparison between jay for <laughs> uh between uh <laughs> yeah. b- between uh wilco and and stanley kubrick Right, and I think that's where the audience was going with it too. They're yeah, like, totally. Well, let's be honest. Uh, Kubrick is the Wilco of, of yeah, director. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I do love Wilco. Now, uh, uh, you mentioned earlier, but you host a podcast called uh, Grierson and Leach with your best friend Tim uh, Grierson, who is the vice president of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. How much fun is that podcast for you? Your best friend talking movies, and it's—I mean—the podcast is pretty popular. It's very well. I, I encourage. I know. Again, this is this isn't really taboo but uh i encourage everyone who's listening to this podcast once it's finished once it's done listen to the end uh then listen to uh that podcast because it is it is fantastic and especially if you love movies and if you're listening to this podcast you probably do because we talk a lot of movies on here but go check out go check out that podcast what what's it like what's that like for you just to uh to do that i mean it seems like such a fun project it's just a fun thing to get to talk. yeah i mean tim, tim and i are basically doing this podcast the way that in high school after we would see a movie and just drive around the cornfields for for 3 hours talking right. about the movie now we're just recording it and giving it to people so yeah it's fun it's a really exciting thing to get to do it's also frankly taught me how to produce podcasts i actually taught myself how to do it because we actually only started doing it because tim and i were reviewing movies for the new republic and they asked if mm-hmm. we wanted to have a podcast component i said sure yeah man whatever and then uh then they and then the new republic went through some changes and they fought they actually fired our producer and they said listen uh uh, you know if you want to keep doing the show uh great but we don't have a producer for you i was like I'm having too much fun. I'm just going to go ahead and keep doing it. So, uh, so I went ahead and just taught myself how to, how to do it. And, uh, and so that's a, just a helpful skill to have. Uh, helps me my, with my podcast. I do with Bernie Miklas uh, a, a little bit and even help out with this now, uh, now as well. And uh, so for me, that's uh, uh, to get to talk to, uh, never minding just the fact that we had talked about movies. I mean, this is, I've known Tim since I was in middle school. So to actually still be able to talk to your, your best friend from middle school uh, once a week is, it's pretty exciting. Even even if we're occasionally talking about things as dumb as venom. Yeah, right, right. Uh, now, so earlier I did some digging, and I'm pretty sure I stumbled across an old high school photo of you, <laughs> Probably. Uh, an old yearbook photo. Were you? Did you ever rock a Wayne's World T-shirt in one of your high school yearbook? Photos? I did sophomore year, baby, sophomore year. Wayne's <laughs> yes. World. I'm proud of that shirt. I'm not gonna apologize for my Wayne's World shirt. That was that was you that shouldn't. was a pretty cool guy. You, you shouldn't. Yeah, no, Wayne's World to me is. And in fact, I'm just going to ask you this. Is Wayne's World the best Saturday Night Live skit turned movie? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I think um, uh, some people like McGruber. I don't know if I'm quite with them. Yeah. Uh, get into, now I want to look and see what, what now, now I'm thinking about it. Uh, Blues Brothers is good. Blues Brothers right. is good. Blues Brothers is definitely I, good. I would say that's the biggest competition for Wayne's World is, yeah. is Blues Brothers. But McGruber, especially, it's almost kind of had that uh, like a cult following. Like after you know years after it, it hit theaters and, and you know went to DVD and everything, it's kind of grown in popularity since then. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I do kind of like I always my, my I, I know the movie wasn't very good, but just look at this list now. I forgot how much I love Tim Meadows as the ladies man. I always thought he was yes, really funny right. as the ladies man. He actually, I'm, I'm reminded now how much that made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. About so yeah, so so Tim and the movie's not very good, but I do like him in it. 
Do you want to take a guess as to which uh, SNL uh, skit turned movie has the lowest Rotten Tomato score? Um, let's see. Oh, it's got to be. Uh, it's got to be. It's Pat. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's got to be. It's that Pat. is. You know, it, correct. And do you want to guess what that Rotten Tomato score oh, is? Oh, it's got to be like a super low. Like, did, did, did anybody like it? It's a zero percent. <laughs> wow, wow. My favorite so thing about like, that. My favorite thing about that movie. You know who was a uncon- uh, an uncredited co-writer on that movie? Quentin yeah. Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino was no an uncredited because he and Julius Winnie were friends. Remember, she's in Pulp Fiction. So at the end, at the end of the film, when they go to the junkyard and Kev- yeah. and, and Harvey Keitel is there with his niece, it's Julius Sweeney. Like he and Ju- like Julius Sweeney and Quentin Tarantino were old friends, and so he actually wow. helped her out with its Pat. <laughs> that is not apparent on screen. Just to be very clear, that's well, it's probably good. That it's un- uncredited uh, for Tarantino. It's like just 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 based off of the rating, it's Pat. It yeah, it's the you know people didn't know if uh, it was a girl or a boy, but uh, apparently people clearly know it's a terrible movie, but. <laughs> um man that's yeah so that i mean it, it, there is a good you, you look you look at the list and you think okay you know Coneheads, uh Stewart saves his family night at the roxbury which i i think doesn't get as much credit i mean it wasn't great but it wasn't it wasn't terrible it doesn't get as much credit blues brothers 2000 superstar i mean you go down the list that you know it is those like movies that just you know you kind of watch to be entertained but man it Wayne's World, that very first Wayne's World movie. And Wayne's World 2 kind of holds up, but Wayne's World, that first one, one of my yeah. one of my favorite movies it's of all for, time. It's for, I, even like, I even like Ed O'Neill in that movie. That movie's pretty funny. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, like where he's just that creepy donut yeah. shop employee, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> serving coffee. Um, incredible. So, all right, so before I let you go, uh, can you tell me about the Will Leach show? The, the show you make through Sports Illustrated on SITV, I – I, I've, I've gotten a chance to watch some, and I love this because it's it's got that late-night talk show feel, but it, it's like long-form interviews, so you can go deeper with guests, and it's, you, you're not just like asking like you know two fluff questions and then saying, well, I, th- I think you got a clip from your movie. Let's uh, let's check that <laughs> out. Can you can you can you set it up for us? Yeah, it's like, fun. I, I, I you know I always like I, I grew up a Letterman guy, like I think every white dude my age. I grew up a Letterman guy, yeah. and uh, so yes. uh, to me. Uh, Doing a kind of fake talk show, which it is a fake talk. I mean, like it's a streaming talk show on a sports network. Like, there's no reason for there yeah. to be a talk show. So to me, I like the idea of doing it in the construct of a talk show. I do a monologue, though it's really just an essay, and then uh, actually having like a longer conversation with someone uh, about things that I personally am curious about. Usually involving like a larger theme. I write all the shows. I put together it all myself because I'm a control freak. And uh, <laughs> and for me, it's it's really fun to do. I I fly to New York every two weeks to do the show. I'm very lucky to get to do it. It's really fun. It's hard. People can watch it on Amazon channels or on SI. Uh, Amazon channels. Is probably, if you have Amazon Prime, just type in the Will Leach Show. You can see it on Amazon. But uh, for me, it's a fun thing to do. You know, it's fun. I like the idea that I often don't know who the guests are going to be until like a couple days before because I don't like I have like some dream list of guests. But a lot of times they're just like, hey, you want to get uh, the guy from Scrubs? I'm like, sure, that'd be fun. Let's do that. And I'll write a whole show about the guy from Scrubs. Like it's kind of fun to, you know, doing television was not something I ever really desired to do. But uh, now right. that I'm doing, I, you know, I feel like it's an important thing for writers to try to get better at just because it helps them. You know, exposure's good. You want people to be able to to keep giving you writing jobs and having some exposure and that is helpful in that regard but i would also say that uh it's something i enjoy doing it's fun to do i kind of like it i'm i think i'm getting better at it and um we got renewed for season two so i guess we get to do that we get to do this again next year 
Well, good. Yeah. And I was going to say, yeah, I do think, I mean, you, yes, you are getting uh, just better and better. Every episode is, is, is at least from the ones I've seen are, are really good and you do a great job with it. And it's, uh, you know, it does. I, I, I just, I'm a big fan of late night, uh, television and I love the different shows and I love, um, how each kind of host tackles it, it, it you know, it differently and seeing you get to do this, um, it really, really was cool because it is, it's, it's got that feel, but it is, but it's more of an in-depth, it's almost like a podcast, like, a, like, a, you know, you're watching a podcast, but with that late night talk show feel. Oh, cool. That, 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 that is certainly the goal. And, uh, and just to be silly with it, you know, and, and for me, I don't know if people, it's hard, listen, it's hard for people to watch it. If you don't have Amazon channel, if you don't have Amazon prime, you're probably not going to be able to watch it, which is a shame because I'd like people to see it. But I generally have the idea Listen, I have two little boys, ages six and four. Uh, older one's about to yeah. be seven. And someday they are going to not believe that there was ever something called The Will Leach Show. So I, <laughs> I always try to save all these episodes. I always feel like a lot of these episodes are all just more time capsules for my kids 20 years from now of what it was like to live in this specifically insane time. So uh, so uh, uh, that's kind of how I get started with the show and try to have fun with it. I'm very lucky to get to do it, and I'm very honored that they have me. When it comes to late night talk show hosts, do you have a favorite? I mean, obviously you said David Letterman, but is is he the is he the greatest in your opinion? He is the greatest. Uh, now I will say uh, I thought I was going to like Colbert's show a little bit more. I love the Colbert Report, and I actually love when he is more himself than when he's like this satirical political character. I still don't right. think that show exactly works. I like it better than Fallon, for God's sake. Uh, Fallon, <laughs> you can th- throw him out with a with a with a wash, but uh, and. And, and even he's better than that idiot that's on after Colbert, uh, the, yeah. the sing song and the car guy. But um, <laughs> but for but for me, uh, the the best the best guy I've got going now, the guy I never miss anymore is probably John Oliver. I think Samantha B is really good too. Yes. But I think John yeah. Oliver to me has taken the form in a new direction that's really kind of exciting. And uh, no guests, no uh, thwarted things, just uh, no like like stilted ideas. Just uh, he just hits it hard every week and. You know, this is a particularly insane time to be alive. Uh, so I, I find that uh, that uh, that uh, John Oliver is probably the one that keeps me the most sane through it. Yeah, they do. They do a fantastic job with that show. And and I mean, as they they I mean, they have a week a week to uh, for each, to write each episode. But but still, even then, it still blows me away how well they do with it. But uh, can I uh, can I make one uh, small suggestion for uh, the Will Leach show? Sure, hit me. Uh, it just a just a brief it, like kind of a subtle uh, name change, but just start calling it the Will Freaking Leech. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Yeah, I, I think that, that yeah. I I I'm, I'm game for that. I'm, except you know what? I'm just, let's let's just go ahead and full out and curse. Let's just go. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Let's not use freaking. We'll just go ahead and just curse. Just to just to yeah. screw with. Uh, just so Sports Illustrated will be really upset. <laughs> yeah right. It's it's on Amazon Prime. I think yeah. you can. You yeah, can, you can get away with it. Partially get TV, away with it. TVMA. TVMA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's a late night talk show, so you should exactly. be able to get it's, away. It's Leech after dark. <laughs> yes. Hey, Will, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, do this it, it, and just getting into just as much as we got into. I feel like we, we covered a ton of ground and, and hit on everything that I wanted to uh, talk to you about, and I hope the uh, the listeners enjoyed it. And, yeah, just for you to take uh, time out of your busy schedule of, you know, writing and just – 
I, I encourage everyone to to check out, do your homework. Your homework for, for this week's podcast is to go out and read at least, at least one thing that Will Leach has written because I, I guarantee you, you will like it. You will kind of get addicted to it and you will come back for more uh, of what what he does. Uh, will, thank you so much, man. You are awesome. Oh, please. My pleasure, man. Uh, keep up the great work and uh, I'll do it again sometime. And there we go. Another episode in the books. My special thanks to Will Leach again just uh, for him taking the time to join us. He's an incredibly busy man, obviously. just You can tell just by his resume and all the projects he has going on and all the different uh, writing he does. Uh, so it means a lot that he he took the time to come on. My other thanks goes to my guy Spencer Graves for uh, hopping in studio with me and uh, t- touching on, the, uh, on uh, a sensitive subject on uh just hitting that spot that bald spot that we've been meaning to itch uh so thank you spencer graves and my and and of course my thanks as always goes to if you're listening to this right now then it's just you and me kid i'm thanking you for uh listening to this podcast so please uh tell a friend subscribe rate review do all that goodness um and uh I guess I'll just catch you back here next week. Same time, same place. Am I right? Not exactly, because it's a podcast. You can listen to it whenever and wherever you want. So uh, I guess just next week, some whenever you want. Or if you're busy next week, if you're out of town, you can, we could always catch up in two weeks from now or something. You can listen to back-to-back episodes. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so anyway, thank you so much for listening. This has been awesome. Uh, until next week, Seacrest out. <laughs> This is the end of the show. If you made it this far, you're probably Austin's mom. Thanks for listening. Oh, thank you.